Well, Frank, turnabout is fair play, my friend. I know that I was the one maybe getting picked on a little bit on our Twitter handle at D3FB Huddle, but apparently you have uh, made some new friends uh, through social media lately. And so uh, how's that going for you? Don't know what you're talking about. Hey, Karen, thanks for your question and all your help and thoughts on Endicott. Here's my thought on Becker at Endicott. Whenever a team loses the way that Endicott did last week, it can lead to a hangover effect quite often. And I expect Endicott to start slow in the game against Becker. And Becker's been overperforming or outperforming expectations so far this season. That said, I think Endicott does win the game in the second half, probably by a score of about 27-24 in favor of Endicott. We'll see how it goes. Oh, you mean that? Oh, personally, I, I, I thought the lighting on me was great on that uh, clip. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was there great lighting. Uh, unfortunately, uh, our friends in the Twitterverse didn't necessarily agree. Let's take a look at some of the uh, responses I got from this one after 27-24. wasn't quite the score of that uh, Becker at Endicott game. Oh, uh, McEwen 4. Uh, Justin McEwen, who looks like a player from Endicott, according to his uh, profile photo. This didn't age well, LOL. I, I, I guess that's correct. Um, Hot Boy Sheed, SFB underscore 24, uh, gives me three clown faces, which is what D'Angelo Fulford usually gives me on uh, Twitter. So at least uh, we've got some continuity with my reputation. There you go. Uh, at Boston to Tom, uh, Thomas uh, Football Money Bag on his uh, name. Says, yeah, ha, ha, ha. Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Oh, and Kai, uh, Khalil Goodman, uh, 73, uh, where's that flag football referee that said the score was going to be 27-24? Yeah. Um, okay, JB. Got to have thick skin in this business, and you know I do. Uh, Endicott right. was my pick for the CCC. I did remind folks today on Twitter, but that doesn't matter much. But, hey, it's all in good fun. I got more after we start the show. But Endicott, understand... I'm impressed, and I did say so on Facebook. It was a, a great, resilient effort after, honestly, what could have led to a hangover, indeed, uh, what happened at the Wesley game. Uh, so congratulations on that, and let's start week four of In the Huddle. So one other thing I want to say here on the other side of this open, uh, JB, you know, a lot of people do ask me the question about why flag football referee and whatnot. And uh, I've been doing it for about uh, almost eight years right now. They yeah. ask me why I don't get certified, for instance. And, um, you know, the answer is honestly kind of simple. You're looking at it. If I were to go into refereeing, I would have to actually leave this show because uh the, I, there would be kind of a conflict of interest, ultimately, especially if I go yeah. upper level high school into college, which bleeds over high school to D3 bleeds over a lot. So uh, 
there is a uh, an actual decision I made along the way that until I'm ready to hang this up, I'm not going to go get certified uh, to be a referee. But I get to do a lot of flag football. Uh, Gable, uh, which is 64 teams, is a record for us in a flag football tournament up here in New York, is in two weekends. And so we're going to put up a poll this weekend, or for this weekend, rather, as to where I go on my last weekend for a little bit uh, before for traveling before I can't uh, for a couple weeks. So, yeah. Endicott, you're going to be one of those uh, picks. Endicott uh, at Salve Regina is a big game coming up in the CCC. There are a lot of other big games. We're going to go through all of them here. As I always uh, ask you to do, though, I want you to kind of give me your feel. You see what's on the screen here about no cannons but plenty of blowouts uh, going on throughout Division Three, especially the East Region. What was your 30,000-foot view of Week 4? Um, not as many upsets that we thought uh, you know, we'd seen in the prior weeks. I think uh, things are starting to even out a little bit. And um, I know that uh, I've actually got a couple picks right that that uh, kind of surprised me a little bit. So conference races are, are slowly coming together. Uh, the out-of-conference games are slowly wrapping up. So uh, pretty much once we get into October, it's full-on you know, race for the AQ. And you know, there were some... Not a ton of surprising scores, Frank, but I think that there were some games that were maybe a little bit, uh, just some unexpected stuff kind of happened. Not the result necessarily, but what happened during the games themselves. Well, you know how we uh, kind of flesh that out every week? We uh, go into our crunch time segment. We're about to do that in one second. Uh, then we're going to go through the conference races and got some interesting discussions coming up to look at what's coming up for week four. Uh, no interviews in this uh, segment uh, or this uh, episode, but we will have interviews with a player and a coach later in the week. And uh, we push this out on Monday with hopes that we can do that more often. Uh, so, uh, you know, cross your fingers. Uh, maybe in a couple weeks that won't be possible yeah. when I'm in tournament mode. But uh, for now, we're going to do that. Hey, JB, you used to introduce Around the League when we used to do it in the old audio show. Why don't you introduce uh, this right. segment right now? All right, so for the uh, the games ending in week four, which I guess, what was that? Saturday, September 28th, this is uh, crunch time. Crunch time for week four. It's actually going to start in an interesting place here, JB. We're going to start in the NESCAC because there was a score that I think both of you and I, you know, blew pretty much on Friday. Uh, Trinity yeah, at Middlebury. Probably. Yeah, you know, Trinity uh, tried to come back in this game, but Middlebury able to hold them off. They only had trailed once. Will Jernigan with 241 total yards, one passing and one rushing touchdown in this game. And we're going to look at the standings later in the show, but... This really creates some interesting issues in the NESCAC race early in the season. 32-27, yeah. Middlebury beats Trinity. What's your take? Well, uh, you know, my dad thought it was cool uh, being a Middlebury grad, but um, yeah, kind of a surprising, you know, I don't think anyone thought that Trinity uh, would be one and two at this point in the season. I mean, I guess there's still a slight chance if they win out that they could Potentially, uh, you know, they're not going to get that four-peat. Um, it, it's looking like now because of yeah, Middlebury and, and, and Amherst, which is going to be a pretty big game soon. Yeah, well, let's uh, take the two remaining undefeateds besides, uh, you know, that grouping of uh, Middlebury and Amherst. 
Uh, Amherst beats Tufts 26-16. Wesleyan beats Bates 48-12. For the first one, Amherst uh, defense, three interceptions. Uh, Ali Ebert with 247 total yards and two passing touchdowns. For Wesleyan, it's, it was them leading 34 to nothing at the half, so they just took it to Bates early and often. 394 to 117 was the yardage. Hamilton, 45, Colby, 24, as Hamilton, uh, their defense forced four turnovers. Kenny Gray, 250 total yards, two passing, one rushing touchdown. Uh, and Williams kind of keeping pace with the group right now after that early loss, 41 to 10 uh, over uh, Bowden, excuse me. Uh, Bobby Mamaron, Mamaron, uh, we really do have to get that right. 208 total yards, one rushing uh, and one passing touchdown. We'll look again at the standings later on and the schedule for next week, which has some interesting uh, pretext to it, I think, at this point. Move to the CCC. We're going to start, wow, this Nichols-Salve Regina game at Nichols uh, was very yeah. interesting because the Bison broke a 15-15 tie by going for a fake punt on fourth and four from their own 20-yard line and got to the Salve Regina 49 on that play. Eventually, you'll see the touchdown from one yard out. Nichols takes the lead and never looks back in the game, 25-15. to Gutsy, gutsy call there. Yeah, definitely there were some, some pretty interesting special teams calls this weekend that really stood out, this being one of them. And, uh, yeah, you got to credit Michael Pina and the Bison. They're 3-1 uh, they're and one and uh, one know in the in the CCC, and they might upset the apple cart a little bit this season. We'll see. Let's also go to Western New England beating uh, University of New England, the Battle of New England, 50-38. to 38. Yep. I predict the high scoring. You didn't. It does turn out to be the high-scoring game. 990 total yards in uh, that game. And quarterback Brandon, Brendan Smith in for Al Coleman. As you pointed out, he was injured in the Stetson game, was Coleman. 309 total yards, three passing touchdowns. Also, let's talk about Endicott, 58-12. to <laughs> They led 46 or 42-6 at the half. See, I can't even get it right when it's in front of me, guys, so let alone wow. me predicting oh, the score. Joe Koloski. 23 for 30, 255, three touchdowns, eight tackles for loss by their defense with two forced fumbles. It is an all-around positive effort for that team. Yeah, I mean, I think Endicott's you know, hitting in all cylinders. That's probably why they they probably should have taken down Wesley uh, you know, a couple weeks back. But they are really looking like the team to beat in the CCC right now. Uh, good to see uh, Joe's back out there on the field and, and slinging the ball really well like he like he always has. So, yeah, the Gold are definitely a team to be reckoned with in the East. The ECFC, however, is a conference that really is still struggling. That's up next here. Greensboro, it's 27, Gallaudet, 25. Here's the final play for Gallaudet. Fourth and, as you called it, forever, basically. And they just couldn't even get a real yeah. chance. Yeah, not even a real chance for Gallaudet in the play. But give them credit. They did keep pace. They did get to the point where they could have at least tried to win that game at the end. And it's been a tough season for Gallaudet. We're not going to kid ourselves here. But they do fall short, 27-25. Let's go to up next, as my notes get uh, all messed up here, the MASCAC. There we go. Yeah, and we're going to start a couple of uh, big games here. Yeah, well, let's uh, talk about first the third touchdown of Mass Dartmouth, which you're seeing right now, uh, in a game that they won 21 14 over Plymouth State to move to 4 0. And our guests from last week, uh, we were right about them, uh, Stephen Gaychuk. 
and Tony Slaughter were, you know, obviously important factors, especially Gaychuk in this game. Uh, yeah. the, the biggest thing was the defensive stand. With nine minutes left in the game, they had a huge defensive stand against Plymouth State and then bled the entire remaining clock, around 8.50 we'll call it, uh, off the clock. Wow. And Plymouth State never got the ball back. And so... They pulled up from the state on them. <laughs> yeah, they basically did. You're right. 21-14. Uh, they outgained the Panthers 433-115. to Gaychuk with 409 total yards. Back up off that uh, 180 number he posted, I think, the previous week. So yeah. there's his Madden-type numbers again. One rushing and two passing touchdowns in that game. Bridgewater State 50, Fitchburg State 6. Nick Sanavica with 114 rushing yards and two, touch uh, two touchdowns. Western Connecticut, 42. Worcester State, 28. Western Connecticut moves to 4-0 with that win, let's not forget. And the Lancers had led 21-7 at the half. But David James' is 23-for-38 yeah. effort, 370 and four touchdowns, was what brought that one home for WestCon. And Mass Maritime, 31. Westfield State, 7. That moves Mass Maritime to 3-0, surprising a lot of people right now that they are in that hunt, whereas Westfield State is 0-4 this season the new mac and uh, we have some clips uh coming up here first off we picked off a score and reddit cfb loved uh, what we picked off because there were two safeties to start this game in the mit 32 catholic 13 game mit had a 40-0 lead you don't see that very often to say the least and uh minus five rushing yards by catholic credit the mit defense for creating that yeah. Then, look at this game, the back and forth of this game. WPI 35, Springfield 21. Springfield was down by two possessions and then had a kickoff return for 100 yards. You'll see it right here. And that was an immense momentum swing. But WPI ends up getting the final touchdown of the game to win by two possessions. It is their eighth time in 130 seasons starting at 4-0 for WPI, Connor Field, 116 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Coast Guard, 17. Curry, 7. As R.J. Rabisky had three sacks and a forced fumble. Ryan Jones, he can't drink from the mug, but he can still do plenty on that field. 198 passing yards, one touchdown. Merchant Marine just slaps Maine Maritime, 62-13. to No cannons necessary there. And, you know, Maine Maritime did get two touchdowns, but very late in the game. 62 points is a record for Merchant Marine with that 600 yards, 485 on the ground. And Norwich, 35, Castleton State, 14. Another surprising 4-0 or 3-0 start here for a team. That's Norwich, and they win the Maple Sap Bucket as Matt Dunn gets 365 passing yards, three touchdowns. There's a lot to talk about in that Numax slide. I'm going to let you pick what you want to hit. Well, I think uh, what stands out to me is it really looks like uh, WPI and Norwich seem to be uh, the kind of the, the, sta you know, the standard bearers of the, of the conference, although you can't necessarily sleep on Coast Guard because um, they played uh, they played Norwich so, so close. But um, it feels still pretty wide open. I mean, Merchant Marines, uh, you know, looking solid. Their offense is you know, clicking. You saw them. You know, drop uh, what was it, 45 points, and uh, last week their defense is playing great. They've only allowed 13 points in the last two weeks. So, um, you know, I know MIT is the defending champion, but there's a lot of uh, contenders vying for the crown right now. 
How about the Liberty League? The, the g- highlight game uh, could very easily be Hobart uh, hosting Montclair. We'll get to that in a second, and you can see the score here. But really, what turned around mid-afternoon into a really close game was a 25-point game at halftime. And then suddenly things went haywire, and St. John Fisher gets within three points, and they end up with a chance on fourth down that actually they went on a third down to a situation they thought they had a first down which would have led the allowed them to bleed the clock and maybe go into score either the tie for the field goal or the win for the touchdown the referees correctly ruled that both feet had come down simultaneously with one out of bounds and they could not convert on fourth down then eventually they get the ball back and the play you're about to see the interception play by Ithaca is what ends everything in that game it is 38-35, but Joe Germanario and company should not be thrilled with what happened in that second half. Joe threw one ball off his back foot and ended up with an interception. And you got to credit Walsh from uh, St. John Fisher. A 90-yard touchdown pass at one point, over 400 yards passing. A Herculean effort to try to get that team back in that game and try to get to 4-0 themselves, but they weren't able to. Ithaca moves to 3-0. Yeah, I think for the first time we might see a little chink in the uh, in the bombers uh, in the bombers armor. Uh, the fact that their pass defense was just lit up by Fisher in that second half, and in a way they're lucky that they they kind of just you know this, there wasn't enough time <laughs> to complete the comeback. But the defense made enough plays down the stretch to, to save the day, and yeah, it's a good thing they they kind of got out to that uh, lead early on because they needed every bit of those uh, you know, thirty five uh, points. Montclair State had several opportunities at or near the red zone against Hobart. Hobart also had several yep. opportunities and converted mostly field goals in the game. In the end, though, with a 9-3 lead, Hobart was trying to fend off Montclair State and ends up with the interception, as you'll see. And eventually, Hobart turns around to score in a short field. Well, it wasn't a short field. He made it a short field uh, by possessing and having go pretty much full field uh, the other way. 16-3. to the final in favor of Hobart, their second straight victory at home against an NJAC opponent. Running back Brian Hafner with 90 rushing yards and a touchdown, but the three interceptions and one forced fumble in the second half by the defense was the complete difference maker for Hobart. RPI 38, Anna Maria nothing. Uh, the, the score doesn't even tell you how distant that game was. They put in reserves in the second quarter did RPI because they were up so quickly. I think it was 28 to zero, or it may have even been around 38 to zero at halftime. Can't even remember, but I, we were watching that game for a little bit, and it was 14 different running backs used in that game by RPI. My goodness! And St. Lawrence with another win over Hartwick, 33 to zero. They moved to two and two as Tyler Groshot with 326 passing yards and a touchdown, four interceptions. Coach Puck has to be thrilled with numbers like those. Empire 8. Let's start with Brockport. They're hosting uh, Alfred State, and in this clip, this is the first score of many, but Freddie June, 22-yard run, and boy, he is a speedster, as you can see. He made it 7-0, eventually 55-6, as Alfred State held to just 67 yards by Brockport's defense. June, 256 total yards, a rushing and two passing touchdowns. I asked the question recently, is Brockport back? You kind of said maybe yes. Thinking now, definitely yes. Definitely yes. Yeah, and you know, you look at the 
and they're holding their opponents to you know five rushing yards. And that was kind of what they were doing last year. Now, I mean, obviously, Alfred State's a, you know, not exactly the same you know, level as like a Cortland State or uh, an Alfred who Brockport is, is yet to play. Uh, but they do seem like they're starting to get on a roll here and playing well on both sides of the ball. Well, you mentioned Cortland State. Uh, Cortland beat Buff State 59-21. to Outgained the Bengals 580 to 280. Brett Segala with 21 for 30, 270, and two touchdowns. And Alfred, who does have a loss against Ithaca, don't forget, but they are a contender through and through in this conference. 56 to 13 over Alfred. Alfred outgained Rochester 588 to 188. And Aaron Griffin, 229 rushing yards. Wow, three touchdowns on the ground. Morrisville State 42, Husson 15. Just a nightmare start for Husson right now at 0 3 as things don't look to get any easier as they go into their CCC play for the first time very soon. The MAC. Hey, the new motto of the MAC is if it ain't four overtimes, it ain't us, apparently, because it happened again. Misericordia yeah. responds to Lepval's field goal in the fourth overtime with a touchdown. Let's look at the final play that of the th uh, third overtime. This close call here, and this is what allowed this game to continue into the fourth overtime. Lebanon Valley uh, still had a chance. They got the field goal, as I said, and then Misericordia gets the touchdown, as you can see here, to win in four overtimes, 35-32. That was Eric Jeffries from Misericordia with that touchdown. Then how about the surprise of Kings beating Lycoming 19 to 13, Tyler Moore to Tim Costantino, and you can see it 19 to 13. Kings wins that game. Moore had 214 passing yards and two touchdowns, and Kings had three interceptions on defense. A little bit surprised. Well, I picked I picked the Monarchs to win. I wasn't really. It was kind of one of those toss-up games where you know it could have gone either way. But yeah, it does seem like there's something in the water there in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, because not only are, are the, uh, Kings Monarchs undefeated, but their crosstown neighbor slash rivals Wil Wilkes is also undefeated in the MAC. So how about that? Let's talk about the rest of uh, the uh, teams that did play. Uh, Wilkes was off this week. Delval 55, Albright 7. It just was never really a match. Uh, Anthony Fontana, three touchdowns. Uh, the Delval defense allowed just 202 by Albright. Stevenson struggled for a little while against FDU Florin, but eventually pulled away 49-15. Ryan Sedgwick went 24 for 31, 379 yards and five touchdowns for Stevenson. Held FDU to 46 rushing yards, did the Stevenson defense. And Widener, 41, Alvernia, 13. As James Gillespie, who I believe was the offensive player of the week for the MAC, nine receptions, 200 yards receiving, three touchdowns. Congratulations to Gillespie on continuing his onslaught. In the end, Jack, you can see it here William Patterson, 35, SUNY Maritime, zero. As here, Tariq Riddick with a 30 yard touchdown run made it 20 to nothing. Four for forced turnovers by the defense of William Patterson. Uh, Riddick and Marcel Mason combined for 173 rushing yards and four touchdowns in the victory. And Kane, 47, Dean, 13. The Cougars scored 35 on answer to open the game, and that just put away Dean from the start. JB, that is crunch time for week four. 
Okay, JB, let's put up your slide here. Uh, I didn't get a real good chance to see this uh, yet, so I'm going to be reading it as I uh, you know, look at it for the first time. And okay, you have Guitar Hero <laughs> showing on this slide. <laughs> okay. This is going uh, to be the overriding theme throughout the season, right? This old guitar yeah. thing? Okay, I, I get it. Well, let's look at the stat champs. Uh, on offense, uh, Mass Dartmouth's junior quarterback, Stephen Gaycheck with 409, one rushing and two passing touchdowns. Our guest last week. Um, you can tell that their fortunes are going to really rise and fall on Gaychuk's arm and feet for that matter this season. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Sedgwick with the five touchdowns from Stevenson was certainly impressive. There were some other quarterbacks who were, who put up some pretty high yardage numbers, but you know, this was a must-win, you know, kind of a prove-it type of game for UMass Dartmouth, and uh, and Gaychuk really came through uh, big time, you know, counting for their three scores and, and you know, getting them to 4-0 for the first time in probably two decades now. So uh, congratulations to the Corsairs. They're off to a great start, and, uh, you know, that's that's – Pretty much why I went with, uh, with, with Gaychuk for my offensive player of the week. I, you know, defensively, I would have uh, perhaps given uh, it to the UMass Dartmouth defense uh, for that big stand toward the end of the game. Uh, but Coast Guard senior linebacker R.J. Rabitsky definitely deserves it with three sacks and a forced fumble. You know, sacks are tough to come by in mass quantities these days. The way that they rotate in linebackers and defensive linemen in some of these teams and to get three in this day and age is a lot in any game. Yeah. Uh, you know, tackles for loss and sacks, you just don't see, let's say, double-digit numbers of those anymore, period, for tackles for loss. You don't usually see anybody hit five even sacks anymore in college football, especially in Division three. So you're right to honor somebody that gets three sacks and a forced fumble, I think. Yeah, and it was you know it was kind of a touch-and-go situation for them with Curry, uh, who's kind of off to a tough start, but – is still not, uh, you know, they're, they're in all the games that they've been playing in. Um, so uh, I think that this was one of those where, you know, the Coast Guard needed to, to kind of get back on track after after losing a close call in the uh, the mug rivalry game with Norwich the prior week to talk about a potential for, you know, a hangover, Frank. Uh, there was one there, but the, the Coast Guard pulled themselves together, got the win, and uh, they started off a uh, conference play. Um, Already with uh, with the loss, but they can you know, keep uh, keep the positive momentum going with a win. So, let's uh, take a look here also at special teams. Hobart with back-to-back fakes. The Riverboat Gambler is back, alive and well in Geneva. Mike Craig. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> no, he's yeah. not. Kidding, kidding, folks. Yeah. Kevin DeWall. Kevin DeWall. He's now uh, take in the uh, Riverboat Gambler. Uh, moniker for uh, calling these or whoever did call it on that team with those fakes. Why don't you kind of set it up for folks that didn't see that? Yeah, so there was at one point in the in the game where Hobart was setting up for what would appear to be a 51-yard field goal attempt um, at a time when they were you know, still only up. I think it was uh, either six or nine to three, something like that. And uh, they they went for it. Um, David Cruson took the took the snap and, and threw a pass uh, to an open receiver. But then there was a penalty that made the play get called back uh, to uh, what was then going to be a pretty clear punting situation. Well, Coach DeWall calls a fake punt. John DeLosanti, the senior wide receiver, throws a pass. 
and it's first down. Hobart keeps uh, keeps moving down. And, you know, the crazy thing about that game, too, Frank, is that there was actually a, a play when Hobart was uh, intercepted for what it looked like a pick six, and it was going to be um, a tie ball game pending the extra point. But that play got called back from a, a penalty, a defensive holding penalty. So just a lot of weird um, potential ups and flows there. But that uh, the, the guts to, to really kind of you know, go for a fake and then to go for it again really made a big difference, I think, in, in that uh, in that game. I'll give you that. Absolutely. Uh, let's look at most surprising 3-0 Middlebury, most disappointing 0-4 Dean. Uh, we kind of looked at both of those teams in crunch time. I can't add much to that. I, obviously, Mass Dartmouth at 4-0 could qualify for that. Uh, Mass Maritime at 3-0 could qualify for this uh, surprise as well. Uh, so That's there are true. a lot of surprises right now going on. Most random stat and thing, uh, Merchant Marine Academy scoring 62. I, I, I guess my question to you is, and we've had these come back out to us here. We've had questions coming up. We, we, and we've sort of put these two quarterback situations next to each other. Not so much the guys sort of in the driver's seat position per se, but Waheed Nabi and Luke Porman in two different uh, regions in this country right now. Waheed Nabi right. has to be watching what happened in that second half, saying to himself, Where's my chance, coach? Because it, it was not the best of times uh, for German, German area on company in the second half. Uh, and, you know, a certain level of team leadership by Nobby, you know, I don't know if it would make a difference, but leadership in the experience with a certain team can sometimes soothe a situation starting to writhe out of control. And it was in that game. For Luke Foreman, Jace Hammett comes in and basically plays most of the game uh, right back from injury, he didn't look like the most mobile uh, quarterback I've seen on two feet. But at the same time, I understand that he was very good for them last season. Uh, there, there's an odd balance going on. And I guess the question ultimately becomes, when do you stop rewarding loyalty and start becoming a little bit more cutthroat with these guys? And we've seen already to a certain degree with Ithaca making the decision they made coming into the season and still not giving really Nobby a chance here at this point. They're going to ride the German area horse all the way. That's pretty clear at this point. And what do you do if you're wide yeah. Nobby? And what do you do if you're Luke Porman right now, I guess? And what do you, what's your view on that? So I'm going to give you the floor here. I know you've got some thoughts on the quarterback situations uh, in these two situations uh, that we brought up, Ithaca and Mary Harden-Baylor, uh, both in the top 15 nationally right now, I believe, uh, if I read the poll earlier yeah. correctly about Ithaca. Go ahead, floor yours. Well, I think I'll, I'll start off with, with Mary Harden Baylor, which I think is the more puzzling one, just based on the fact that you know Luke re almost single-handedly, um, you know, won the won the game for them against Bellhaven, where they were kind of kind of struggling, and um, you know he accounted for over 200 yards, and uh, you know, really you know did what you want your starting quarterback you know to do as far as leading the team and leading the offense, and and um, you know I know that. Chase was the guy last year, and you know, maybe this was you know just a situation where they were up by so many points they just wanted to you know, see how he how he was doing. But you know, I think it also you know from a, uh, from the coaching staff, it, it just sends a it sends a mixed message I think to to the team um, that you maybe don't have faith in, in you know the, the one guy that they you know have started to pull around and have faith in to lead them. So. 
you know, I don't, you know, Luke's had some pretty uh, bad luck with coaches, <laughs> just put it that way. Um, and sometimes that's how it goes. You know, coaches want to play their, their guy, their certain guy for whatever reason. And um, I think we're kind of seeing that in, in, in Ithaca where you know, German Ariel was, was brought in. He's got that prototypical size. He, he runs a, a similar offensive type of style that, um, that Coach Swanstrom liked to do when he was at, at Penn. And so he's the guy until uh, something happens. But uh, once again, I think it just sends a mixed message to the team. But end of the day, if your team is winning, then everyone's typically – yeah, okay with it. Uh, it's when you know you have situations like if let's say if Ithaca lost that game to St. John Fisher, they came back and were able to get you know a forty-one to thirty-eight win. That's when I think you know things get a little bit more dicey. Let me ask you an honest question. You're Wahid Wahid Nabi. Joe Germanario obviously doesn't go uh, out there for Ithaca next year. We know that. Would you come back? Would you strap it up? and play for Ithaca next year, knowing that if you're Wahid Nabi? Well, I, I don't, I don't know why he personally, I don't know, you know, his uh, motivations and all that. I think, um, you know, if he, if you, if playing football with, you know, I'm sure he's got a great relationship with the guys on the team and I guess maybe the opportunity, if he could, you know, basically pull, you know, basically, red shirt effectively this year and, and still keep the two years of eligibility and be the starting quarterback for the next two seasons. Uh, and that's one thing. Um, but I also wouldn't blame him if he was also maybe thinking, hey, you know what, uh, maybe I'll transfer um, to somewhere else and um, you know, focus on uh, uh, my degree, uh, trying to get a football situation that he, you know, he knows he's got the, the support of the coaching staff. You know, it's once again. I think it's a it's a challenging situation to be in. I'm sure he, he wants to be the starting quarterback, and he's been competing. But uh, you know, Joe's one of the best uh, players in Division Three. Period, and it's going to be you know, it's a tough deal. My take on uh, why he not be in the answer the same question you just answered is this: uh, I find him to be a very good person for even going out there this year. Uh, to strap it up to losing a year of eligibility, essentially, at this point. It speaks volumes about Nobby and the character he has and the person he is, etc. And so I would say, you know what? Do what you want. You've got nothing left to prove to your teammates. They know what you did this year. They know who you are. They know what your value is as a person beyond just football at this point. You don't have to prove anything at this point. You know, the Luke Porman situation we pointed out earlier in the season was different. He had two years to go. He wasn't displacing anybody because Carl Robinson was done at that point, and he came in wanting to basically, you know, start right away. Didn't happen. Jason Hammett comes in two, and you know the rest of the story. But this is a little bit different, and the question of loyalty works both ways in life, I think. I see in my relationships all the time, let alone in football uh, situations, and if you don't get loyalty in one direction, you got to wonder if you'll get it in the other, or if it's deserved in the other direction. Here, it's tough. This is not an easy situation, but you have one year of eligibility left now because of what you did sacrifice in this whole situation if you're Nobby. Would I transfer if I was him? Probably not at this point. I, I, I can't blame him if he did trying to just prove something to himself, 
but I don't think he has to prove anything. Okay, he's beaten Cortland twice as a freshman and a sophomore. How many quarterbacks in Ithaca history can make that claim ultimately? So, you know what? We'll see where this goes. Uh, This issue got raised to me. That's why we're talking about it right now, about Nobby and uh, Germanario. But also uh, the Poorman situation last night. We were watching this play out. And I wanted to hit both of them because it's, it seems like the, uh, the overtones of these situations keep playing out in some format here. And you know what? It's just, it, I think we're learning not just about the quarterbacks involved, but about the process. And yeah. not all of the process is great, ultimately. It's not always fair. It's not always the exemplar of loyalty going on. But you know what? We don't control it. It's the coaches that ultimately control it and the athletic directors out there. So it, it's something to watch. Yep. There's a psychology to all of this, and that's why we bring it up. Wesleyan, Amherst, Middlebury. Now, still with some good say in this thing are Hamilton and Williams at 2-1 and one each. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you, Trinity at 1-2, and two, I just don't see an easy way for them to win this conference without a lot of help now. I mean, if they had stayed at one loss... They just had to rely on Tufts to get beaten, and that was it. And they did against Amherst, okay? And, you know, also against Williams last week. So that job was done. They controlled their own destiny until, boom, they get beaten by Middlebury. And now coming up, let's look at uh, who they have. Middlebury-Amherst, as you said, the 2 o'clock game on Saturday is a big one, to say the least. Uh, Williams, Colby, and Wesleyan Bowden, and uh, you know those Hamilton Trinity. I guess Hamilton Trinity would be basically an elimination game further at that point uh, between those mm-hmm. two. But Middlebury Amherst, huge game. If you had to put your money on any team right now in the NESCAC to win it, who would it be? Well, in the preseason, I would have probably said Amherst, but the way that uh, Middlebury keeps figuring out ways to win these uh, close games. Makes you think that they're, you know, Will Jernigan has the has the ball with you know the last possession that anything's possible here. I mean, the NESCAC has really become a, a very it's almost called it like the RPO act um, because they have these very mobile running quarterbacks that can you know turn up a lot of yards, can score on you multiple ways. So um, it's beginning to look like Middlebury is a team that, that could win it, but I think you know for now the Lord Jeff's mammoths are the uh, are probably the team to beat, but we'll see. Nescak hates us enough. Let's not get ourselves in bigger trouble than we already are with the Nescak. Speaking about trouble, um, <laughs> Endicott and uh, Nichols in Western New England here in the CCC, all at one and zero in the conference, and the cream rising to the top really um, in the overall standings too. Uh, but Endicott's got a tough game coming up. Salve Regina, yes, they're 0-1 because of that Nichols loss. But they're going to be uh, on home turf Saturday against Endicott. They're 1-3 Salve Regina. Are they legitimately, in your mind, a 1-3 type team? Or is that a team that the win-loss record doesn't really describe who they are? I know you're going to make us predict this game on Friday. I know the video is going to go viral in the Endicott circles when we do it at this point because of what happened. Uh, see show open for more details. But, okay, is Salve really that team at 1-3? and three? Well, they have played some pretty tough out-of-conference competition, including you know, Montclair State from the NJAC and a few other, you know, a few other schools. So, 
you know, they're, they're going to be a tough out no matter who they play, um, especially with Moriello at running back. I mean, he can really you know, grind up a lot of yardage. Uh, but I think overall, I mean, Endicott's playing on a, on, you know, I, I think I said last week they're, they're, they're kind of graduating from the regional to the, to almost more like a national level. Um, and I really feel like they're, they're, they're making that next step. So um, I would, I'm probably going to end up picking the goals on that one, but we'll, we'll you have to wait and see. <laughs> and also, though, Nichols at Western New England at 1 o'clock uh, in Battle of 1-0 teams right there for the conference and 3-1 teams overall. That's going to be an interesting one to pick as well. That's also going to be an eligible team for me to uh, travel to this weekend, technically. So we'll see uh, what people think of that. But we've got to highlight it. That's a huge game based on what's happening right now. The ECFC, yeah. two wins and let's count it, 6-9... 21 losses. They are 2-21 and 21 right now overall this season in out-of-conference play, the ECFC. Alfred State, SUNY Maritime, both at 1-3. and three. The rest have not won a game. This is just getting to that point of, you know, we're guaranteed to have a three-loss team in the, uh, the tournament this year uh, because the yeah. ECFC will be that conference that provides that type of team. Um. Apprentice at Anna Maria uh, is uh, the fifth. That is the only game for the ECFC before they get some conference play started up. That's an interesting game. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the Apprentice School, I mean, they're they're kind of like a, what is it, an NAIA or they're, they're, they're petitioning D3. I know they're they're down in Newport News. Um, you know, it's kind of more like a vocational, um, you know, tech type of school. But uh, you know, they've um, had a program for a while, and they've won some ball games. You know, Dan Moroni and company are still looking for that first win, and they came into this uh, season with a lot of momentum. But I just don't know. I think the builders are going to be a tough uh, tough matchup for them. They just they just don't seem to ha be able to just get anything going. Um, from an execution perspective, I know they've been recruiting a lot, but the talent just doesn't seem to be there for Anna Maria. I think they've also been pretty banged up uh, in the Union game alone. I understand they had a bunch of injuries yeah, they, up on them. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So hey, we'll see. Um, the MASCAC, uh, three undefeated teams right now, uh, four in conference, but Mass Dartmouth, Western Connecticut, Mass Maritime, Framingham State. Okay, Framingham State one and two, but one and zero oh in conference. And this yep. next game plays out very interestingly. Apparently, there was a date and time change, so I, I'm guessing they moved it from Friday night or something to Saturday afternoon. Is that what may have happened here? Uh, Mass Dartmouth oh. at Framingham State, noontime. Another game eligible for me to travel to on Saturday. Um, look, Framingham State at one and two, but one and zero oh in the conference. They their only way in, they know it, is to win the conference. They need to just roll through. And here's a team they need to beat. Absolutely need to beat now because Mass Dartmouth is looking like a strong team. Does Framingham State have the ability to beat UMass Dartmouth right now the way that they're playing? Potentially, yeah. I mean, um, Wojcicki and company definitely have the, the offensive firepower. Where they've struggled, though, is when they've gotten into some defensive uh, mismatches and they've struggled with turnovers. So if the Corsair's defense can you know, pick off Wojcicki, you know, keep keep the pressure on them, 
they might be able to get a, a win over the Rams, which they, they probably haven't had in many years at this point. The interesting, other interesting game, just from a logistics point of view here, win-loss records, is Worcester State at Mass Maritime. Mass Maritime has a real chance to win another one here and to move to 4-0, yeah. which would be unheard of for them. Mm-hmm. New Mac time. WPI Norwich. That's how I would have drawn it up this season, right? You too? Oh, I think you, didn't you pick uh, WPI to... I did, but break? I didn't think it was going to be like that, okay? I didn't think this was going to be the play out of this. Um, I called yeah. MIT the sleeper. Uh, they are still around at 1-0 in the conference, 2-1 overall. Merchant Marine, same record. Norwich, 4-0, 1-0, and WPI, 4-0, 1-0 right now. There is a lot of exciting gameplay to go on, but in a lot of these conferences, like the new Mac... I think you're going to see teams just beating up on each other to a degree that you're going to end up with two and three lost teams by the end of the season, being one of the teams that you'll end up crowning the champion. I really see so much, not parity necessarily, but competitiveness or ability to beat one another on any given Saturday that I don't think you're going to see anybody roll through as an undefeated conference record in the new Mac, among others right now. And before we uh, send it back to you, MIT at Merchant Marine is a huge game. Another game eligible for me to travel to this Saturday and right in my own backyard to a certain degree. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I almost uh, misread it. It is MIT at Merchant Marine. Yep. And then Norwich at Springfield uh, is an interesting game. Main Maritime at WPI, that should go WPI's way uh, based on what we saw against Merchant Marine. Catholic at Coast Guard, probably a Coast Guard win, but you know what? Catholic needs to step up here. Maybe they pick one off there. Who knows? But MIT at Merchant Marine seems to be the real highlight game with Norwich at Springfield, a chance for Springfield to turn things around here. Norwich has to stay alert in that game. bunch of games I would love to attend. Those two right there are huge. Um, Can Norwich beat Springfield, do you think? Uh, Let's look at that one. We've looked at MIT and Merchant Marine a lot, but... Springfield just doesn't yeah. seem to be the same Springfield this season. Norwich is on a roll. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Nick Giorgio was a you know a pretty impactful defensive player for the Pride for a long time, and and it doesn't seem like they've um, been able to replace that production. Their offense is hasn't been um, moving along at, at the usual clip um, due to some injuries like you know Hunter Belzo and and others. So. Yeah, I think actually Matt Dunn and company with the way they can you know, spread the spread teams out and, and throw the ball around can definitely take that one if uh, if they put together a good game plan. We're going to look at the records real briefly here because there's no conference play in the Liberty League uh, so far. Uh, 4-0 Hobart, Union Ithaca 3-0, you know the rest uh, looking at the screen here. But Hobart at Union. Hey, there's another game eligible for me to travel to this weekend. <laughs> I mean, we, we have a lot of these. Um, th- that is the highlight game, though, 4-0, 3-0, like the old days, coming back here. Yeah. Uh, th- th- this is huge. Hobart's ranked. Union looking to get ranked if they win this game at home. Technically, they would earn it if they did. Um, they would. We, we'll predict it later in the week, but we're going to highlight it now, the fact that that game is a huge Liberty League game to start conference play. Rochester at RPI, you'd expect RPI to roll there. Ithaca at St. Lawrence. St. Lawrence playing better ball. Both are yeah. home grass surfaces, so that, that's not going to play much of a role here. You know, they, 
I just think that was the Leckenbeet Stadium is St. Lawrence. I was about to spit that out uh, versus Butterfield uh, for Ithaca. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you would think that Ithaca is going to be able to get back on track here and win big, but Groshot's hitting good stride right now for St. Lawrence. We'll see. Hobart Union, give everybody your first look at this game before we go and predict it on Friday. Well, I think it's going to boil down to um, Hobart's defense and how they can, can try to contain the sort of three-headed monster of Bellamy, Irivor, and Ross. Um, the game last year was great. It came down to being a one-point differential. Um, but I think you know, this year's teams are a little bit different. Um, Hobart has been struggling a little more offensively uh, than, than they were last year, but their defense is playing a lot better. I think on the union side of things, um, their offense looks good, but and they, they kind of have a – a defense that's trying to find their identity um, and did a pretty good job uh, keeping the pride in check and getting that extra week of preparation is definitely going to help. I was just going to ask you, I mean, does Hobart come into this game uh, beaten up pretty badly from playing two straight and Jack teams? What did you see? I mean, the one thing that would concern me, obviously, is the field goal to touchdown ratio right now for Hobart in the last two games. We were talking about this offline yesterday a little bit. It's getting a little bit interesting. I mean, Three field goals, one touchdown yesterday. Uh, what was it? Uh, two touchdowns, two field goals against Rowan. So if you uh, add it all up, it would be three touchdowns against five field goals right now in the last two games. That red zone scenario has got to be better for them, I would think, uh, in a game like against Union. But are they nursing some injuries right now that they maybe could have used a week off like Union had? What's the status there? Yeah, you know, there were a couple of injuries in the in the Montclair game to some of the offensive line players, but they, you know, these were guys. You know, they got up off and got off the field under their own power. They got back into the game, so I think you know, for the most part, the team overall is relatively healthy. Um, but you know, it's been a grind. I mean, they played uh, four weeks straight against some pretty um, you know, big teams, um, even Morrisville's. You know, at two and two, they, they, their offensive line was huge. Um, and they needed a second half comeback to you know, put them away. Yeah, the the red zone uh, struggles is a little, little bit uh, interesting. Um, but special, they're you know they're finding ways to beat teams on special teams, both in the return game and the kicking game. So if it does end up you know, being a, a one possession type of situation with Union, I feel pretty good knowing that Kyle Hackett's my my place kicker. So. Uh, I think it's going to be another great contest. There's no love lost between you know these uh, these programs. It's a great uh, rivalry, and um, you know I'm sure the you know, people at uh, Frank Bailey are going to be excited to have a ranked Hobart coming into town that they they can take down. We'll see what happens there. Indeed, 17 and nine is the out of conference record for the Empire Eight right now, and uh, that's a pretty good number. Uh, we, we pick on the ECFC a little bit about theirs. Well, you know, look at the Empire Eight right now with uh, their look. But Cortland's the only undefeated team right now at three and zero. So if the Empire Eight's going to get a Pool C team through this season, the likely candidate would be Cortland. But that would mean somebody would have to beat Cortland in conference play for that to happen. Otherwise, they would get the automatic qualifier, obviously, and an undefeated record. Um, you know, Ithaca still has to play Cortland later on the season. Let's not forget that point. Obviously, that's why they are one down on uh, out of conference games right now. That is in Week 11 in MetLife Stadium. So we'll we'll talk about that when it comes to that point later on. Uh, but 
Fisher, Brockport, and Alfred right now locked in at three and one each, and Utica at two and one. You're going five deep in this conference now before you kind of stop and say, okay, those other teams don't really matter as much, I don't think. Uh, that being Morrisville State and Hartwick, although Morrisville State would probably argue with me on that. Hartwick just doesn't seem like the same Hartwick team we've seen the last decade at times. But St. John Fisher proved themselves in that second half as being legitimate. Okay, right now at 3-1. and one, So put them in there with Brockport, Alfred, and Utica. So when you get to this week's schedule now, and you look at Morrisville State at Alfred, I mean, look, Morrisville State could pull, pull an epic upset in that game and really turn things on its head. Utica at Cortland. You gotta believe that Blaze Fagiano and company are just licking their chops for a chance to take down really what right now is the 800 pound gorilla in the uh, Empire Eight, Corlin, and Brockport at St. John Fisher. That's the Courage Bowl, I believe, uh, this year at six o'clock. So that's a big game coming up as well. But if you had to pick a game of the week out of those three. And we're going to have to pick one eventually because we're going to have to put an Empire 8 game probably in the mix, too, for where I travel this weekend. Um, which one would it be? Probably the Courage Bowl because it feels like this year um, both teams are, are much more evenly matched and it could go to either either team. Um, I know in the past, records just kind of go out the window in this uh, you know, Rochester kind of local rivalry game. Um but this year, especially uh, you know, given some of the, the turnover, uh, you know, new players at Brockport, the fact that you know, Fisher um, you know, gave Ithaca such a good run for their money, I think this is going to be a really exciting game. Uh, probably a lot of points scored and um, should really be uh, probably the highlight game for the weekend for the Empire 8. Okay, you know, I'll agree with you a little bit there, but I, I still think Utica and Cortland just that has a real taste for a possibility for an upset, JB, to, to me personally. And, you know, with the week off and everything that uh, we saw for Utica, they've had time to game plan this and maybe go out and watch Cortland play as well. So to me, that's a huge game. That, that's going to be an interesting matchup. I don't think Cortland just rolls over them like they've been uh, some other opponents right now. So we'll see how it plays out and uh, what some of our fans may have to say about it as well as the week develops. Mac, the standings of the Mac are a little bit weird right now because the overall don't match the conference standings because Widener and DelVal, yeah. who don't play each other until week 11, don't forget, that's just their rivalry game at the end of the season, are both 2-0 in the conference, 3-1 overall. But the undefeated teams in the Mac are Wilkes and Kings at uh, it says 4-0, 3-0. Uh, something's wrong on uh, D3Football.com. I think 3-0 is the official uh, win-loss record for Wilkes and Kings. Uh, they, there's an in-region record showing 4-0 for uh, Wilkes for some reason. Not sure what the discrepancy there is being caused by. But 1-0 in conference uh, for both of those teams and Misericordia. Uh, the teams that are having trouble right now are obviously Lycoming, Alvernia, and FDU Florham. And Lycoming plays... Uh, Del Val this weekend. Kings at Misericordia, obviously battle of 1-0 conference teams there coming up. Uh, and Widener at Stevenson proves probably to be an interesting game on paper. You know, Wilkes hosting Alvernia, you would think Wilkes would roll in a game like that. But, yeah. you know, Kings Maybe. Misericordia. We were basically counting Misericordia out. They win a game in four overtimes. They they 
They seem to win these close games over and over and over again the last season plus. It's unreal. But, you know, do does Kings Misericordia to you seem like the game of the week for the Mac? And does Misericordia have a chance? Yeah, I think they definitely do. Um, you know, because they, they are just one of those teams that, just find ways to win, <laughs> especially these last uh, uh, you know season and a half or so. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it'll be an interesting matchup, and it's one that will kind of start to you know, tee up, I guess, the number one contender to to Del Val, who, in my opinion, is still probably the you know the, the team to beat. They're the defending champs. Um, I think they're up to I think thirteen or twelve in the in the latest D3Football.com poll. So. Um, someone's going to have to try to you know, take them down, and this is one of those kind of you know early you know contender elimination types of matchups. So, should be a good one. Now, some sad news as we go to the end, Jack. I'll let you take this one uh, for Wesley um, Shamir Vessels. Uh, remember our interview uh, earlier in the season, uh, Jason Bowen did with him. And uh, you had gotten a piece of news earlier called my attention while I was uh, getting some roughing done and whatnot today. And uh, we are heartbroken to hear it. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, um, when uh, when Jason uh, had done some interviews for us in, in week one, which included the, the Wesley Franklin Pierce game, he, he did speak with, with Shymir, uh whose uh, friend Troy Haynes, um, who uh, he played uh, football with in high school, Unfortunately, um, you know, had been stricken with cancer, and uh, Jason let us know uh, that um, even though he was able to celebrate his, his 19th birthday last Tuesday, uh, Troy unfortunately uh, passed away, um, and so we just wanted to send out our our condolences to the the Haynes uh, family um, down there in Texas, and to. Uh, sort of their extended family, uh, including uh, you know folks like like Shymir, who uh, is still you know, very much a young man himself. I'm sure um, I've, I've lost some friends, uh, you know, as well when I was about Shymir's age, and you know it's a, it's just sad to see. It's just uh, too soon, and um, you know, we'll just we just wanted to send our condolences and, and thoughts at, uh, during this difficult time. Here, here. Um, we will uh, talk right now about NJAC play. Obviously, nine and fourteen right now in the out-of-conference schedule for the NJAC, which is a little surprising to some people. That, granted, Frostburg State is out of there, but I mean, Southern Virginia is too, and they were kind of a, a counterbalance a little bit to Frostburg State in there. So, for a nine and fourteen mm-hmm. start, not what you expect, and to see William Patterson actually holding up their end of the bargain at two and one right now is an impressive yeah. thing. The conference play starts here, coming up. Wesley Salisbury is what you see right now leading the conference. They will play on October 12th. On October 5th, though, it's Rowan at Wesley. And that's a rematch of a game that Wesley lost last year. Salisbury yeah. at Montclair State. That's a big game as well because Montclair State still figures in this equation very much. Let's not forget yeah. that fact. I mean, they challenged Hobart very well. Uh, a couple interceptions didn't go their way, and that was the difference maker really in that game, as we said earlier. Uh, TCMJ, yep. William Patterson, that's going to be one of those, hey, William Patterson, you won two, two games out of three, but none of them are conference games. Can you win the conference game now? Can you beat TCNJ, who struggled a little bit this season, but Coach Fosberg on his uh, interview with us uh, earlier in the week said TCNJ is a very good, very well-coached team, so that will not Amen. be easy. 
But that's what we've got coming up this weekend. We're going to talk a lot more about these games. Now that we're going to conference play, this is the stuff that matters the most. Uh, we, we, those other games mattered insofar as Pool C implications are in play. Seeing who's who and what's what matters at this point to see who we're going to follow more closely and whatnot. But this is it. I mean, some of these conferences are too deep into conference play. I get it. But most of these conferences are either just starting or one game in and there's a lot more to come now. Yep. We're just we're, we're going to roll here. ECFC is the only real exception to that. They've got one more week before they really roll into it. With only one game this weekend. Last thoughts for this episode before we head into our interview episodes later in the week and our predictions on Friday. Well, now that we're kind of a, a month into the into the 2019 season, I think you know, we're getting a good sense of who uh, the contenders are, and there's some surprises at the top of these conference standings that are making things interesting. What we'll be what we'll be keeping an eye on throughout you know, the course of October is whether or not uh, you know these contenders end up being tenders right coach soup or and uh and whether or not some of the old favorites uh, the old standbys uh you know take over and it's kind of the usual suspects at the end of the season but for now a lot of interesting new names up there and we'll see if, how long they last i do want to say that coach Toop on his ride to maine saw our prediction episode and did say bakes you're legit so you're not a pretender anymore in his book okay Legit right over there, folks. James Baker, according to Mike Toop. And when you win 62-13, to 13, I think people should believe what you have to say at that point. And when you're Mike Toop, you really should believe what he has to say. We got a lot to come up this week. Uh, this in the, As I said, week four coming up, uh, or week five, technically. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> week four host chat, we talked about the last week. It is week five give or take the midpoint of the season uh, once we're done with it we're basically at the midpoint and a lot of questions as you said a lot of teams we think we know who they are right now but a lot can change folks stick with us we got a lot more weeks to go here together on in the huddle